You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. <laughs> This is the Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, a show in which we read books by black authors and they're talked about by a black author. And you can listen if you are black or not black, that is okay. This week and next week, we are definitively, definitely, 100% finishing Vincent Woodard's The Delectable Negro, okay? Uh, We've drawn it out, we've put it off, we've postponed it, we've missed weeks, not happening We're finishing it. So this week we're doing chapter five, which is eating Nat Turner. Next week we're doing the hungry nigger. Um, and it's spelled nigger, not nigga. So that's why it's said that way. Okay. Uh, but, uh, (laughs) eating Nat Turner, uh, this week is what we are doing. And, uh, I've given the same caveat I've given for the last two episodes. I don't like this book. So, you know, if you don't like the fact that I don't like this book, I apologize um, that you have a problem with that. I don't apologize for not liking it. So there you go. Um, yeah. So this week talking about eating Nat Turner, I will say I'm very interested in Nat Turner. Like I think everybody is, uh, or let's just say every black person. And, um, yeah, so we're going to get to a lot of tangential stuff. I'll cover what Woodard talks about a bit. I, the first section I think really covers a lot of that. And then we'll cover some different things that I looked at and uh, we're also not going to get to all of it because there's some things that we don't need to talk about, but okay, let's get right into it then. Um, yeah, if you want to hear the first four chapters of me complaining about this book, they're on your favorite podcast apps and YouTube. Uh, okay. So in the introduction, he talks about how most people don't think of Nat Turner and cannibalism. Um, but then he talks about a, a lynching that occurred that has that's not Nat Turner, that's Claude Neal. Honestly, the most disgusting thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, I, I really do think that somebody needs to look into the concept of serial killers and uh, and and America and slavery. They they lynched Claude Neal and fed him his own genitals. That's something that you would see in like a Saw movie. So um, yeah, just more fucked up stuff than than I thought would be in there. Uh yeah, if this is the first time you're listening to these episodes, the caveat would be that I thought the book was going to be all about that. Like they were going to be well actually, I didn't think it was going to be about that. That's auto cannibalism of a sort. I thought the book was going to be about white people literally eating black people. And we get some of that. Um but we also just get a lot of other fucked up things. And really my summary of the book is that and my critique of the book is that um, there are enough fucked up things that we've known about and continue to uncover. And sometimes it's hard to draw a through line through them. Woodard's argument is that cannibalism is the through line. So that's what he's going to prove here, that there's cannibalism with Nat Turner. And he does that by talking about the lens in which people desired Nat Turner. They desired him. And so that gets into his homoeroticism and homosexuality argument that he's brought in many other times. And from that piece, he does have some interesting conversations in this section. Uh, so just because I'm critiquing his thesis doesn't mean I don't think that he doesn't make good points. He goes on to talk about why homosexuality can't be talked about in the black community, or at least wasn't for a long time. And even now still is very much a, uh, taboo is really the wrong word. It's just like a sore spot with a lot of black people to this day. And yeah, you know, I, we had a, I was at a gathering a couple weeks back and it came up and it was not, let's say the viewpoints varied. How about that? Um, so, so he talks about that and then he goes back into his thing about why, um, so little evidence of homosexuality and homoeroticism and, uh, I guess, you know, homosexual rape, I guess, is the term that you would use for when somebody rapes somebody of their own sex. Um, so yeah, the, that's, that's really what he sets out to do. Now, the way that it's largely framed, though, this, this section of the book, so how does he accomplish this? 
I would say he largely accomplishes this by not discussing Nat Turner as he was in 1830, but as he was in 1968, as imagined by the novelist William Styron, who also wrote Sophie's Choice. Now, I had read Sophie's Choice, and I had known about the Confessions of Nat, Confessions of Nat Turner, and I had known about the responses from 10 black writers that were published, and I had known that James Baldwin was left out of that collection because he helped defend Styron. So I was already hip to all of that. I had sworn pretty much that I was never going to read uh, Confessions of Nat Turner. I'd read Sophie's Choice. I was fine with it. Um, I found it to be verbose. I didn't know he was a Southerner going in. And so those two things kind of bothered me. I didn't want a a uh, wordy white Southerner's treatment of a black hero. So that's what I always envisioned the Confessions of Nat Turner being. And I got to say that Woodard basically <laughs> uh, affirmed that. And then I also did pick up the book. I've rented it from the library. I didn't pay any money to the Styron um, estate, although I assume that actually if your books get rented from the library, you get money somehow. But whatever. Anyway. Um, and then also, you know, it's not like William Styron was a racist, just an idiot for writing this book. That is my opinion. Won't be changing that. Uh, but so, so... I did pick up the book and read the first 50 pages, about 10% of the book. Um, it, you know, there, I read nothing in those first 50 pages to dissuade me from my previously held position. You could say that I was biased going in, but if I believed that and the 10 writers who responded in 1968 or so believed that and Vincent Woodard believes that, then what am I to say, you know? Because at the end of the day, Styron was a pretty well-received novelist, a white novelist, who wrote this book, and he got paid uh, $100,000 for the paperback rights. That's almost a million dollars in today's money. And he got paid that money because they knew that white audiences would eat this up. They would eat up a white Southerner getting into the mind of the Negro once and for all, and finally revealing to all the white folks what this Negro was thinking. Because what the fuck did they care about Nat Turner other than to just be you know, if they even knew about him, other than to just be uh, kind of like scared, right? That would be the reasonable reaction, especially at that time as the black power movement's about to kick off. Like, what makes these blacks so angry? That could be a reason. Or otherwise just, um, I mean, that would be a reason to know him. Or otherwise just like, we want uh, we want to know about black people, but we want, to, we want it explained to us through a intermediary, somebody who's lived amongst them in the South. So... You know, would would a black novelist have gotten the equivalent of a million dollars in 1968 to write about Nat Turner? I, I mean, at one point, Richard Wright was one of the best-selling novelists in the country. I mean, I think the best-selling novelist when um, I think Black Boy, not or maybe it was Native Son, came out, and James Baldwin was also very popular. But I, I don't think that they would have gotten it for this book right? This is a different animal. This is writing about a militant black man who murdered white people and, uh, rightfully and, and, and in doing so scared the hell out of them. Would a black person writing about him in 1968 have gotten a million dollars to write about a militant black man? I can't see it, but maybe, you know, maybe. Um, so anyways, uh, Woodard talks about how the American people are obsessed with Matt Turner um, there are other escaped slaves who have, you know, staged rebellions. None were successful or as successful as Nat Turner, at least on American soil within like a 50 year uh, radius of 1830. Um, there are stories of marooners. There, there are stories, but Nat Turner is the one that Americans are obsessed with. And, uh, so so Woodard discusses this, but I would like to just discuss this for a second. What makes him so compelling? I think it's a couple of different things. So I think one thing is that he actually pulled it off, right? So that makes him maybe scary to some white people, fascinating to some white people, makes him a hero to, I would say, almost any black person. I can't even, even a, your most ridiculous, um, you know cooning black person couldn't possibly couldn't possibly not like nat turner in that context i mean i would assume but hey you never know um so i think that's one aspect of it 
I think another aspect of it is that it's insanely gruesome. Um, and you know, they, like, uh, the, his skull went missing is still missing. Somebody claimed to have had it. There was a purse that was made from his skin, things like that. Um, the authors who, uh, wrote in response to Styron, the black authors who wrote in response to Styron had a problem with him telling these gruesome details, but that's kind of the thing. Like people, people like that, right? Americans like that stuff. So that's, so that's two things, right? One is the success of it and how crazy that is and him just being a folk hero. Two is the gruesome aspect of it. And then the third thing I think is the fanaticism of Nat Turner. So I, I actually did read the real confessions of Nat Turner, which Styron's book is based on. It's only 20 pages. You can find it online for free. Um, I happen to have had, hold on a second. Let me grab the book. Uh, it is called the African-American archive edited by Kai Wright. And, um, the whole thing goes into like basically him having like this, these visions. He had visions. Visions led him to do this. Now I have to be honest here. I'm a little disappointed. Uh, I thought it was going to be pure anger. I thought it was going to be a screed of like, why did it? you want my confession? My confession is these fucking people needed to die because they were enslaving us. Let's go. That seemed more like, um, what his, I don't want to call them co-conspirators, what his fellow freedom fighters, um, felt not that they get to talk, but, but, uh, Nat really believed that he was like, you know, a prophet. So he had been told he was a prophet when he was younger. And then he said here, um, Having soon discovered to be great, I must appear so, and therefore studiously avoided mixing in society and wrapped myself in mystery, devoting my time to fasting and prayer. And different type cats. And then he talks about how he ran away like his father had, and he came back, and everybody at the plantation was like, you're a fool, you should, if I was as smart as you, I'd have ran away, I would have never came back, I would have found a different way to live. And Nat was like, um... Uh, no, like God told me not to. And he says, for he who knoweth his master's will and doeth it not shall be beaten with many stripes. And thus I have chastened you. So he had been instructed by God to go back and, and be under the thumb of his master. And then he had another vision. And so he keeps having these visions and then eventually he has a vision that tells him to go and do it. That aspect of it, I think can't be underrated. Um, Americans love a zealot. They love a, uh, and I'm not calling that Turner a huckster, but hucksters in general, that's Americans love hucksters. The 45th president was one. And, um, Turner is not a, a necessarily a huckster, but I do have to just be honest with it a little bit though, you know, because for me, um, I think that obviously I've said before that I'm an atheist. I think it's very odd to use the white man's religion to then go, uh, murder him. I'm, I'm told, I mean, whatever, whatever gets slaveholders dead is good. So I'm good. Thumbs up on that. But, uh, it does seem odd that like, you know, it's like, Oh, I had a vision from the same God that that guy over there prays to. And he says to go murder these people. Um, cool. They should have been murdered. So I'm good with that. Um, but would have liked a better reason. Anyway, uh, so, okay. So that's the, that's the general idea, um, for why I think Turner is, uh, super popular and kind of why Woodard thinks he's super popular. Woodard also has another assertion that, um, that he, that he echoes from Baldwin, which is that, uh, Styron had managed to write a synthesis of America by writing this Nat Turner book. That is that he wrote it as a, you know, the white side and the black side coming together. I wholeheartedly reject that idea. And I don't think that uh, Woodard is saying like that he set out to do that or even that it's like necessarily well done as much as like it's true because of the flaws of the book that it is a synthesis. Um, so, yeah, but we'll dig in that to that in a second. Uh, I wanted to quote something from page 193 here. Um this is where the black authors are criticizing uh, Styron's approach to the character. And he says, 
uh, Kaiser is the writer here, Ernest Kaiser. He says, examples of bestial descriptions in his article are his unnecessary, gruesome explanation that the doctor skinned Nat Turner's dead body after he was hanged along with 17 other Negroes and made grease of his flesh and the lurid details in his novel of the killings of whites by Negroes. Uh, Kaiser spoke for most of the black men in the edited collection who simply could not bear such descriptions of Turner, which they claimed violated Turner in body as well as in cherished memory. The reason I wanted to read this is because it made me think, and I often reference this book because it's one of the best books I've ever read, Blood Meridian. And what's interesting about a book like Blood Meridian, which is very much a condemnation of what it took to build America and a meditation on violence, right? It still is a book where the main characters are the ones committing the violence, you know? The main characters are the ones committing the violence. And, 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 and not just that. Let's say the main characters are not the victims. In Turner's book, excuse me, in Styron's book, uh, Turner committed the violence, but he's still a victim, right? The, all black people in slavery were victims. So the, the, the chance to finally tell the tale from the victim's viewpoint, you want that, and especially for, essentially, the most famous, if not the only, successful slave re uh, rebellion in North America. I mean, there's probably other ones, but like this is easily the most famous one, but there's probably other ones. But you want that story to be told by black people. There's no way, there's no way to there's no way of getting around it there's no there's no way i could read confessions of nat turner by william styron and be pleased there's no way that any black person could read it and be pleased and if you do pick up the book and read the first 50 pages i mean it's not that there's no way any black person i'm exaggerating but you know what i mean like if you do pick it up and read the first 50 pages like the things that you think that you might have a problem with you're going to have a problem with you're going to have a problem with because you're i at least i am every time i see the n-word written there i'm thinking well he thought he was thinking in the n-word he's really getting in the mind of a of either a racist white person or a black person. I wondered while I was reading the book, would it have been better had he done it from the viewpoint of the jailer who takes down Nat's confession? And I honestly think the answer would have been yes. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is that the book as a kind of um, explanation and condemnation of the American past and the like in a way that Blood Meridian does it, but in a completely different subject matter, kind of, although not too dissimilar time periods. Um, it doesn't work because even though the victim is finally centered, it's not told by a person who's actually able to empathize with that victim truly empathize with that victim styron is quoted later on as saying that um i'll get to it actually when i get to that quote i'll tell you because uh it's just it's it's perfect and then um the last thing i want to say about this is that you know with black people from the time we landed uh the boats right onto this soil we have been hyper aware of how we are perceived if you're perceived as too smart right you might get uh beat for uh, being uppity and then you progress into post-slavery times and that still jim crow era you still have to be careful there and then the 20th century you don't want to be too smart but you don't want to look like a sellout you don't want to be a person who forgets the way is people talk, but you don't want to be a person who purposefully acts this way or that way. It's the Du Boisian double um, consciousness thing, uh, along with a lot of other stuff. And and then you also get like, you know, I remember my college coach telling me about, you know, every time you see a black person on the news, they always get one who looks crazy. So we want representation, but we want to make sure that we're represented looking well. But then what about the people who don't look well? What about people who just, or what is well looking either too, you know, like what's, what about the respectability politics aspect of it? All of this stuff. Our representation and how we're um, thought of matters a ton, right? Matters a ton. You can turn on the internet any day, go to Twitter, and you'll see a conversation about 
Sexy Red or Suki or um, the various rappers, various other rappers um, who people either think are hurting the black community or not hurting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Our image really matters. And then you take one of our most important figures and uh, no other book's really been written about him. I mean, there's one here or there or whatever, but this is the most famous one. And it's written by a white guy who's a Southerner who has a crazy-ass quote that we're going to get to later on. All of that just to say, um, you know, it, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy to expect that this book could please black people. You get why the 10 folks... Um, who wrote against it, wrote against it. Okay. Let's get into more of what Woodard's talking about here. Uh, equating black consumption with homosexuality is the next header. So in that first section, he really just introduces Styron, introduces confessions, introduces that, you know, he doesn't necessarily think it was well done or good or whatever, but then, um, he does take like value in it as like a historical document, you know, the, the, the novel, not, you know, the confessions from 1830. So then on, this next section, equating black consumption with homosexuality, on page 196, um, he talks about kind of the, the whitewashing of Turner. So now he gets into the nitty gritty of like, what's actually wrong here? Okay, so let me get page 196. Yeah, he says, uh, Styron's Turner appealed to whites, uh, to white desires for a palatable black radical figure diminished in all of his complexity and transhistorical powers. Uh, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think that would be for the white liberals, right? They want to, your friendly, what I wrote down was your friendly Negro revolutionary. Um, so that's true, right? And then uh, I guess, you know, if you were like on the fence, because that Styron was a liberal, but like, you know, if you were on the fence, white liberal or something like, you know, I think the black people shouldn't be murdered, but they're still not our equals, that kind of white person. Um, then you just want like, it's not, I think it's not even just about him being a palatable radical figure. I think it's also about him being like, oh, look, he's, he's intelligent. Like the, that, that, um, you know, I didn't think it could talk, but it could talk that kind of thing, even though is he talking or is he, uh, have Styron's fucking hand shoved up his ass like a puppet. Um, so Woodard takes this idea and stretches it uh, into this larger point of his, which is that the blacker you are, the less you can be consumed. This was the viewpoint of the 10 black writers. This is why they were so upset. They were emasculating Nat Turner as they had been emasculating black men for decades, uh, centuries. And by emasculating Turner, you could now consume him in homoerotic fashion. It didn't help that James Baldwin was a defender of Styron. James Baldwin himself, the most famous black homosexual of all time. Um, right? Am I forgetting somebody? Is RuPaul gay? Or... I don't know. I assume, but you never want to assume. Also, probably not more famous than James Baldwin. Be an interesting poll to ask the youths. Who do you know, James Baldwin or RuPaul? It might be depressing, honestly. That answer might be depressing. Um, at any rate, so but that so just the thread of that point. The thread of that point was the blacker you are, the uh the less palatable you are, the less chance you have of being eaten and consumed. They have to make a black man look effeminate and then they can consume him. This was the um conjecture of those 10 black writers and this is why so then woodard connects this this is why we can't talk about homosexuality because it's tied into power dynamics and it's tied into racism right so it's not just about black people being gay naturally it's about the white man wanting to turn black people gay make them look weak effeminate whatever you associate with gay rather than just you know a sexual preference but like, you know, all these other things that are associated with it, attach all of these things, weaken the black families, uh, or weaken the black um, familiar, familial, traditional cisgender structure, that kind of thing, and therefore tear apart families. And of course, all of what I'm saying now, it's real easy as a black person to be like, that's what they're doing, because that is what they're fucking doing, right? That is 
definitely parts of what I just said are, you know, 100% true. Um, it just doesn't mean that we should hate people who are homosexuals, right? That's not, you know, that's a different thing, but it's a hundred percent true that they like to any revolutionary we have, they, they love to sand him down until he's very palatable. I don't know if he necessarily, you know, your definition of what is blacker, what is more straight, what is less gay, whatever. But whatever they did, to instance, for Martin Luther King, whatever they did to Martin Luther King, the same thing that they did to Nat Turner. You know, Martin Luther King is the kumbaya king uh, as he's taught in schools across America, you know, ever since I was a kid. And they leave out all the shit about him being a real revolutionary. King is a real revolutionary. You know, this is not some, um, you know, just like, hey, we're going to just take this, you know, no problem. Oh, you hit me. I'll turn the other cheek. No problem. Like the the point about doing the nonviolent stuff was strategic, not because he wasn't a revolutionary. So the, the idea that uh, white America has tried to make black America um, more, uh, less masculine in some way, less radical, let's say less radical. Cause I want to use terms that are real. Um, right. Like your masculinity doesn't mean that you, that's not what makes you radical. The f idea that white America has tried to sand the edges off of black radicalism and revolutionaries whenever they get a chance and make them more palatable is an undeniable fact. The idea that white America during slavery times tried to break black men until they no longer felt like men and black women until they no longer felt like women is a fact. Uh, the attack on black masculinity in particular is a fact, right? And when you mix all that up and combine it with homosexuality, um, then you get a populace, us black folks who don't want to talk about homosexuality because it's viewed as a weapon, an extension of racism to some people, not to all black people, of course, not even to all black people who believe uh, or who are angry about um, the things I just said, you know, so uh, please take all of that with a grain of salt. But this is Woodard's conjecture. This is his point. This is why we can't talk about it. This is why we can't talk about it. So let's get to page 200, where Woodard writes, um, really makes a really good point, And he says, Homosexuality and its metaphoric power had an exhaustive function. It is equated with the absence of family, hatred of black people, strange moments in culture, and all of those horrific aspects of black experience about which black people would rather not speak. That sums up everything I just said, and that's what Woodard is getting at. And I really think this is his best work. I think this part of the book, this is his best work. It resonates through to the present time. It is still happening uh, there's a quote that I love quoting. It is in the introduction or maybe the prologue to Malcolm X's autobiography. And it's the, uh, the actor, Ozzie Davis. Um, and he says, uh, Malcolm gave us our masculinity back, you know, Malcolm gave us our masculinity back this. So this is not some weird conjecture by Woodard. This is solid. This is very good. And I really thought that he drew a fantastic through line through it. And um, it is at this point that I should mention that Styron includes homosexual acts uh, committed by Nat Turner in his confessions. It's nowhere in his confessions. He made it up. I read the confessions. I mean, Woodard told me that they're not in there, but I was like, hey, let me... Let me just go read it. Anyway, just because I wanted to read it in general. There's nothing in there about it. There's not a goddamn thing about it. So, uh, you know, it's it, it becomes difficult because things like that are quite suspect. Quite suspect. Because it, if Nat Turner was gay, fine. Who gives a fuck? We don't care. But it just feels, well, I don't know if all of us don't care, but I don't give a shit if Nat Turner was gay if he was actually gay. But just putting it, taking the one black revolutionary in the 1800s who was able to um, murder black people. I mean, Harry Tubman and Frederick Douglass are, are revolutionaries, but they didn't, they weren't able to just, you know, get out some uh, fucking 400 years of anger by murdering some white folks. Uh, the, the one guy who did it, Right. The one guy who did it, not your friendly Frederick Douglass, you know, well-speaking Frederick Douglass and not your 
um, hero, long-suffering Harriet Tubman. It was this this uh, radical, crazy guy, Nat Turner. He does it, and then all of a sudden, they're like, uh, Styron's like, oh yeah, he's gay. Guy's totally gay. <laughs> Guy's totally gay. Uh, I mean, it's not exactly what the book says, but you know, the fact that he included those episodes. So, to me, that backs up what Woodard is saying here. Um, at least backs up the idea of why it would offend a 1970s, in particular, black person looking at this going like, hey, you're using this homosexuality for its metaphoric power. You're trying to point out that um, this guy's this, this, or that way, and the black uh, family is this, this, or that way. You're doing this on purpose. So I thought that was really good. Best passage in the book. Um... Okay, we now come to my final thing I think I'm going to talk about in Woodard's book. And that is this unbelievable admission from Styron. This is the passage I was talking about. So I waited here because chronologically I didn't get to this part until here reading Woodard. This is on page um, 186 in the book, but 201 in this version of it that I have. Styron credited Baldwin with breaking down his greatest racial prejudices. Jimmy broke down the last shred of whatever final hang-up of Southern prejudice I might have had, which was trying to tell me that a Negro was never really intelligent. Um, that's fucking nuts. You fucking wrote a book after that shit? You had to meet a black person? You'd already met fucking black people. You lived in the fucking South. I think he's from Virginia. I think he's from Virginia, right? I think it's the same place as, as Nat is from. You had to meet James Baldwin to know that black people could be... What the fuck? And you still decided to write the book? Are you crazy? You're nuts. Go do, do something else or just write it from the perspective of the white guy who's interviewing Nat Turner. You could have been the guy who interviews Nat Turner and goes like, well, I'll be damned, you know? Didn't think a Negro like that could think that way. Would have been fine. Nobody would have even been bad, been angry. Like the Confessions of Nat Turner... And, and, and the narrator is a fucking uh, piece of shit, uh, white racist, you know, fucking piece of shit guy. Um, we would have been like, oh, you can really see through his eyes, you know, it's so realistic, it's good. Uh, would have been much better. Would have been much better, in my opinion, had he just done that. And he didn't do that. And, you know, the Confessions of Nat Turner won the Pulitzer Prize or the National Book Award, one of them. I don't think I'm going to finish it. I really don't like William Styron in general. Like, I didn't really like Sophie's Choice. And I'm not enjoying uh, Confessions of Nat Turner. The younger version of myself would have read the entire book, but the older version of myself went and read the first, uh, what do you call it, the primary source. Much happier with that decision. And I believe I will be returning the ebook that I rented from my local library of Confessions of Nat Turner unread. Don't want to read a white author who even was going into, he was going into writing the book um, with this viewpoint. It's this, what he just said, in, let me just read the sentence beforehand. In preparation for his novel, Styron read Baldwin's writing and spoke extensively with the black author about black experience. And that's how he came to the conclusion that, oh yeah, you know what? You can have some smart ones the fuck out of here he had already published five books he had been in the military he had come from a place with black people this is his fucking conclusion no 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 but anyway i have no beef with woodard because that's not his point his whole point is that eventually the fact that styron takes nat turner um for lack of a better term turns into some kind of effeminate homosexual, some kind of less radical version, some kind of more palatable black person, some kind of thing, entity that can be consumed. Um, now that he did that, that's a better uh, and more reflective idea of America than... Um, you know, like a straight telling of Nat Turner or perhaps a telling that like, uh, I would have written, right? Because if I write that book, it's just going to be, it would have been more like Blood Meridian. Like instead of Turner being the victim, he would have finally been uh, the hero. And I probably would have, if I was going to historicize something, it would have been Nat Turner just goes out in a blaze of glory. Apparently he just like, when he got caught, he was like, ah, oh, all right, here, like, don't kill me. 
Um, but you know, anyway, um, yeah. Oh, well, I did, was going to mention earlier too, that Nate Parker, obviously the guy who was going to make a movie about it, his movie, well, he did make a movie about it, but then he, some rape allegations came, came up and, uh, that didn't go well, but he was offered 17.5 million or he sold the distribution rights for 17.5 million at Sundance, which was also a record. So when I tell you that Americans are obsessed with this, they're obsessed with this. But so anyway, the last two sections of this book are a slave ki- or excuse me, of this chapter are a slave kiss and the legacy of black fathers. Um, so yeah, the, a slave kiss covers the idea that, uh, you know, like Woodard said, this was a better representation of America than, than, um, Styron could have intentionally, you know, banked upon. And that, uh, Baldwin identified with Styron's version of Turner, um, because, and, and, and his book helped, um, you know, pre it preempted a conversation about sexuality that black people needed to have, but by themselves, you know? Uh, so in that way, you could say it was helpful, but like, you know, on accident, right? We're not giving Styron any credit for this. It's again, it's, it's helpful as like a, as an artifact, as a historical thing that happened, this thing happened. And here's what it means. You know, like it's, the author is not important. Uh, some real Roland Barth uh, type stuff. Um, and then so the, the final part, uh, the legacy of black fathers, this is all about um, black boys disconnected from their fathers uh, because they were cut down by racism. This goes into the idea of just, um, you know, lynchings and uh, being raised on the plantation and being separated um you know at the whims of at the whims of uh of the owner the master and what this did to the relationship between black males um but i'll I'll be honest with you once i read that styron quote i was so enraged i had to go back and read the last two sections of the book over again because i just couldn't get my mind off of that styron quote uh really blew my mind but so anyway, um, yeah, so in, so in the end, uh, Woodard, in this last section, Woodard talks about the, right, the absence of the black male figure and then who fills that vacuum. And, and uh, it, it goes through more than just slavery, but just in general, you know, if you are a black person who is raised in a situation where you don't have a black male figure, but especially during slavery times where it really wasn't, you know, an option who gets um who fills that void right and so the answer is usually right one of these people we've been talking about you know martin luther king or malcolm x or nat turner right um the black panthers eldridge cleaver um you know later it becomes hip-hop or tupac you know like because he also was aware of what was going on in the community. So that starts to happen, right? There becomes this uh, kind of worship of these figures. And then Woodard kind of discusses how this is like, um, you know, a form of like, uh, mm, does he use the word homoeroticism? I'm not sure. Let's read exactly what he says. He says, black people worship these men, saw them as beauty itself, and both radiated a seductive air of rest and long-awaited uh, joyfulness. So he says these men, he's talking about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King uh, in this particular um, passage. But, uh, and then further on, he says, Harding romanticizes the seductive virility of blackness and its hidden phallic implications. Um, so, you know, he's, he's talking about this hero worship idea and kind of linking it to the homosexuality idea that he broached in the previous passage. Uh, I think it's fair. I think it's fair. One thing, I, I mean, this is something I've always thought about, um, and people have pointed out this is not an original thought at all, but it's, you know, often you have these guys who are super homophobic, um, and many of them like sports, and a large part of sports is just watching a guy who's 
guys, men, several men, especially if you're watching male sports, right? Men uh, who are just jacked, right? Out of their mind. And when you could sit around with the straightest of straight men, if he's into sports and turn to him in all serious, all seriousness and just go, I can't believe how fucking ripped that guy is. He looks like a tank. That guy looks crazy. I'd kill for his body. There'd no problem. They'd be, you'd have no problem. They'd, nobody would ever be like, oh, that's, geez, settle down. I mean, they might, but they'd be completely joking, right? Um, you know, if you watch a boxing match and, uh, I'm trying to think of a super ripped boxer, uh, I don't know, super, whatever, Roy Jones Jr. in the nineties, Roy Jones comes on and you're like, oh, he's got the body of a Greek God. You'd be fine. Nobody would, you know, whatever. Maybe Cameron would hit you with a pause, but in general, nobody would give a shit. Just normal. Not a big deal at all. Um, and the thing is, is like, obviously. I mean, whatever, just to very quickly sew this up. Obviously, you're enjoying the male physique, right? You find something about it attractive or desirable. Not that you want to have sex with that person, but you can at least find it desirable, right? You can at least understand that part of you, part of your brain, is, even if you're straight, part of your brain appreciates male beauty. This is often not how these things are discussed by people who are homophobic, right? If you're homophobic, you're not going to go like, well, sure, I think he's a beautiful man. I don't know why everybody has to be from the country. Why, sure, I think he's a beautiful man, but, um, you know, unfortunately, I'm not gay and that's disgusting, right? They, w- they wouldn't say that. They would just say, I'm not gay and that's disgusting, right? That's, that's the long and short of it. Um, if you're homophobic, right? Then there's all kinds of different shades of homophobia, but I'm talking about that kind of homophobic thing. So I do think it's interesting then that this hero worship idea, especially with guys like, you know, Malcolm and Martin, these are not just, these aren't sports figures or, you know, movie stars or hip hop artists or something like that. These are two of the most important black men who lived in America. Um, With them, it's interesting to bring up the concept of this kind of like, you know, uh, subterranean uh, homosexual idea because I'd never really thought of it that way. You know, if you told me like an athlete or a movie star or a rapper, I would have thought, oh yeah, that makes sense, right? That part of how they sell themselves is their bodies, right? You know, like part of the way you sell music is by looking cool. Like Puff Daddy famously had Andre 3000 take off his shirt in the player's ball video because he knew like that's going to make money. So it would make sense that you could, you're super straight, but you subliminally accidentally caught like a, a, a look of a Andre 2000 six pack. You didn't even know um, that, that would make sense. But like Martin Luther King, he wasn't up there in a wife beater, um, you know, saying I have a dream. And then like after that line, he just pulls off the wife beater and he's jacked. And he's like, then my children and his pectorals are flexing like that shit wasn't happening. So I just hadn't thought of it that way, but I think it's an interesting and valid point. And in general, I thought this was the best chapter of the book so far. I thought that like, the the connection of it, so let's let's do a through line real quick and then we'll stop but to go from nat turner to styron's nat turner to baldwin's defense of styron's nat turner and in doing that connecting the dots from the real radical nat turner and his base popularity then his popularity as created by Styron uh, for white people, right? So the popularity of a palatable black person, okay? And then the accidental creation of a, a good representation of America that appealed to Baldwin, right? So through Styron, through no you know, credit or fault of his own, actually fault but no credit, creates a you know, interesting character, an interesting Turner, Styron's Turner, that has an appeal because he illustrates and um, highlights interesting things about America and the black community, which then further pushes Baldwin towards um, this larger conversation about Baldwin and Woodard, this larger conversation about homosexuality in the black community and what does it mean? What does it represent? And then further taking that idea and extending it into uh, homosexuality as like a is like a taboo subject that can never be brought up, even though it has, um, it is in, it's, it's represented, uh, possibly without our knowledge and like our hero worship of things. And, um, 
And that brings me to the final point of today. And it is a joke because I enjoy jokes. And it's one of the things that you see on Twitter. Um, the classic Twitter tagline, which is like, somebody says something ridiculously homophobic and somebody says, uh, you know, like somebody will be like, um, oh, there was one that was like, I, I don't know if this is one, but you could just imagine like, oh, I like to use like, I love uh, floral scented dishwash. And then you could imagine somebody in the replies being like, damn, is, is you a bitch? And then somebody quote tweeting that and being like, fellas, is it gay to, <laughs> is it gay to like clean dishes? Um, you could easily see that exchange happening, right? If you can't, that's good. It means you're not online too much, but that exchange could easily happen. My question is this. I love hip hop. I've done a lot of episodes about it on this podcast. I love it. I've been listening to it in my whole life. And as I've gotten older, this is happening to me with sports too. With sports, it's becoming hard for me to like younger athletes because I no longer am of the age of a person who could possibly be their peer, right? Now I'm just like, oh, there's a 22-year-old who's running around really fast. Cool. I can't do that. I don't care. Not that at 22, I could run around as fast as a professional athlete who's 22, but I could go play at the park. I could run up and down the court. I could pretend, you know, I could be in my own mind, a person who plays sports, but that's kind of out. The same thing's kind of happening to me with rappers too, uh, except it's not because I still just listen to rap every day. Where I'm looking at rappers, I'm going like, right, some of the rappers are really good at rapping. You know, like some of the stuff I listen to, I really enjoy because it's great lyricism. Or some of the stuff I listen to, I really enjoy because I really think like, despite maybe the subject matter, it just sounds really good because of the skill. But then there's a lot of rappers where it's like, well, this guy sucks. Or girl, clearly sucks. But let's stick with guys for now. Uh, This guy sucks. And um, he's not good at rapping. But he's got a whole crew. And a whole bunch of people behind him too but a whole crew and usually the crew like you know not always but usually often started out with him you know and so he kind of and then and then usually that crew in him right came up in their city or some city which means they got a bunch of people to back him and they got him to back him how they just got him to back him by saying the classic thing that we always do in hip-hop right i'm the best and figuring it out how to say that in a new and different way that gets people excited I'm the best, then they, in turn, by listening to my music, feel like they're the best, and then we're both the best. I got a lot of money, and whenever I have a lot of money, it makes all of my fans feel like they have a lot of money. A win for me is a win for them. That's how they feel. I'm rich, you're rich, etc. But what's interesting is that initial jump-off that gets you to the point of, uh, I got a lot of money, I got a lot of fans, you know? And basically, you just have to be a dude who can convince 50, 60 people to look at you and be like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be sold out for this random fucking guy who nobody even knows. Nobody even fucking knows him. He's not even good at rapping. I just think he's dope. Um, is that in fact gay? Is it gay to like rappers? Have we been missing it this whole time in the same way that, you, that we, once upon a time we were like, Oh, Martin, uh, Luther King, not <laughs> Martin Lawrence, but Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X were like beautiful representations of blackness, right? And there was that, this, this element to, to, to this hero worship that Woodard has pointed out. Is there an element to it for the, for people who are, you know, fans of hip hop, particularly of like rappers who just have nothing else going for them? You know, you couldn't possibly be listening to some of these rappers and being like, Oh yeah, like great, you know, interesting message. You just think they're really cool, right? This person's really cool, um, which is fine. You know, again, nothing's wrong with any of this, but uh, I don't think that you're going to get, and I'm not going to name any of the rappers. Um, and, and the real reason why I'm not going to name them, I actually don't know their names, right? Like, you know, any of the rap I listen to now is pretty much old rap. So uh, any of the new stuff or any of the old stuff that I don't like, um, you know, whatever, you just take a stab at it. But the, but the point being that there's an element to it. But anybody who likes these rappers, there's no person who's going to go like, oh yeah, part of it is that like, um, a little bit of part of me is like, just kind of attracted to that person for like, um, the, you know, they're cool and they look good, right? It's probably not how they're going to approach it. So in conclusion, all, all of hip hop is gay. Um, is what I'm getting there. Or no, if you like it. If you like hip-hop, you're probably gay. 
and if you like Martin Luther King or Malcolm X, that is what uh, the message of Woodard's book is. All right, I think that's a perfect place to end it. Um, please check out the rest of the episodes on your favorite podcasting device app, whatever. Um, we're on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I use Pocket Cast. We're on YouTube. Um, the music is by The Keep Running. You can check them out. Show notes are in the link. SoundCloud. It's on SoundCloud. Uh, I'm also on Instagram and TikTok. I posted to Instagram like a week and a half ago. I might follow it up in the next week with another post. So we're averaging two posts a month. That's pretty solid. Check one of those two posts out. You have plenty of time, right? Just once a month, go check them out. And then, um, yeah, next week, 100%, we'll be back. Same bat time, same bat place with the conclusion of Vincent Woodard's The Delectable Negro with uh the hungry we can't drop two hard r's in one in one uh podcast so let's say the hung the hungry inward uh, is the final section uh, final chapter of the book we'll be back with that um so until then stay safe stay black and keep reading That's not fair. That's not fair at all. There was time now. There was was all the time I needed. That's not fair. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs>